Come on, you guys feel good today? Awesome. Turn your Bible today, if you would, with me to the book of Exodus. We're going to read two different passages of Scripture today. Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17, and Matthew 5, 27 and 28. As we get into a subject of adultery, thank you for attending our series, The Sexual Revolution. Um, how many guys have, uh, have learned something through this series so far? You do? Fantastic. Last week, um, or the week before that, actually, we started uh, out the series talking about fornication and dealing with that subject. And last week, uh, we had right here Annie LeBaire, uh, who was in the sex industry for 16 years, shared her testimony. What a powerful testimony she had. How many of you guys were here last week and you enjoyed that? Man, she just, uh, honestly, she was a great communicator. But above that, man, the power of her story. And uh, I shared this last week. I was blown away as I was reminded how powerful our stories are, how powerful one testimony is. You know, the Bible says in Revelations 12 that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. Okay, and I know there's some of you sitting out there, and you might have heard Annie's testimony last week. You might be thinking, well, my testimony is not really like that. That's okay. Um, you know what? God is building a really big church, okay? And he's not just building urban. He's building churches all across the world. And someone needs to hear your story. Are you with me? What's so exciting about church to me is that we are one big family. We are a community of believers, and uh, we help one another out. I've seen it even this week in our church that, uh, you know, someone is helping someone else out, and it's helping them out financially. Uh, you're hearing stories about, well, so-and-so got together with so-and-so and helped them move into their new place, and um, just all these great stories. There's so much benefit to being a part of a church community, and I believe that San Diego needs what Urban has. How many of you guys believe that? Okay? I believe that San Diego, if that wasn't true, then why would we be here? Why would our church be here? I believe God brought us here and God is building this community of believers because San Diego needs to hear your story. That your story is powerful, that your story will help someone else overcome. And I was reminded of that last week as five people responded and got right with God last week. Just yeah. simply by Annie. Come on, how many think that's cool that five people? Come on, give me a clap, come on, clap. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not just doing this because uh, we want to share something. I'm doing this because we're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I want people to know him. Amen? And that's why we're doing it. That's why I want people to share their story, their testimony, what God has done in your life, because what God has done in your life is so significant. I was reminded of that last week. Just within the last 10 days, we've connected with a publisher called Good Catch Publishing. And Good Catch Publishing wants to write a book about our church. And what they want to do is they want to take seven testimonies from our church and begin to comprise that into a book of about anywhere between 200 to 240 pages. The cool thing about this is that it only is going to cost our church $1,500. How many think that's cool? Okay. The whole purpose behind what Good Catch Publishing does is they want to write stories about a local church, and they want to take seven stories, they want to put it into a book, and they want to take it about a local church so then that becomes an evangelistic tool so that man, you can leave that book with your friends. You can leave it on a table somewhere in Starbucks. Come on, how many Starbucks people do we have out there? Okay. Uh, maybe you're not a Starbucks person. How many coffee people do we have out there? Okay, It's okay to admit your addiction right here in church. Okay, And, uh, and so then you can leave these books places. And the cool thing is this is people open that up. And they begin to read, and they don't know. It's not going to be like, this is a story about people's lives that got touched by Jesus. Okay, that's not going to be the title. Okay? We're going to come up with a title. People are going to start reading. They're going to think, my word, what happened to this person? What's going on? And then all of a sudden, it's going to introduce Jesus Christ into their life. 
And, uh, and then they're, they're just going to be hooked, and they're going to read all seven of these testimonies. It's going to point them to Jesus Christ. And I believe that's very powerful. Some of you sitting out there, and you're already thinking, like, man, I don't want them to know my testimony, okay? Here's the cool thing, is you can change your name. I actually, they actually told me that. Now, because some, some people, you might have had criminal activity in your background. No, probably nobody here, okay? But you might have criminal activity in your background, and maybe you don't want your name getting out there. For whatever reason, you can change the name, okay? But I believe this with all my heart. The Bible says that he, God, is building his church, and he sets each one into their rightful spot. He places them in as members. He places them in where they belong. Why do they belong there? Because your story will impact somebody else's life. Amen? Do you believe that? I'm thinking about people sitting right here in our church today. I'm thinking about Brett and Sarah. Uh, Brett, who led our worship for nine months, um, they came to our church. And uh, they were unable to have a child. They had several miscarriages. And I remember not that long ago when they walked up, tears in their eyes, and they said, Dedicated, will you pray for us? And we began to pray for them. We just began to believe that God was going was gonna to heal what was ever going on, and God was going to give them a baby. And sure enough, within 30 days, we got a call when we were on vacation. And right when my phone rang, and I saw that it was him, he didn't even say anything. I said, you guys are pregnant, huh? And uh, he was just so excited on the phone. God had answered their prayer, and now they have their beautiful baby girl, Neely. Um, if you work in the children's ministry, she's just so awesome. And uh, thinking about just so many, I think about Steve and Linda, who are here, and so many others that are in our church today because of them. Not only family members, but friends are in their church because they received one simple thing that we call a touch card walking around at a farmer's market in Little Italy. And they got that touch card. Man, and the first time they came, they didn't even know they were coming to church. Come on, somebody. <laughs> they thought they were just coming to some Easter egg hunt. They showed up, and they're like, oh, this is church. And you know what? God began to work on their life, and they have been so transformed. And man, their testimony is so powerful that literally it's already bringing people to Urban Church. I think about Erin, who was up here just a little while ago sharing how God just moved on her, uh, her heart as she was here at Urban Church. And, uh, and God just began to move on her heart. And as God began to move on her heart, now here she is living in Mexico for the next 12 months. Come on, somebody. And God has done some great things. Ushers, I want you to go and begin to distribute these things. Here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to do this today. We are handing out a little, a little form, and it's a testimony questionnaire, okay? And it asks a few simple questions, and it asks for your name. It is very important that you take a moment for me, for the church, and for this book to fill this out. Maybe you're here today and you say, well, I mean, I'm still checking out Urban Church. That's fine. Keep checking it out. Okay, write your testimony down, okay? You don't have to write it in full. All you have to do is check a few boxes, what your testimony is about, and then give a quick little blurb about what God's done in your life. And at the end of the service, we want to collect those. I'm thinking about some more testimonies that are sitting here right here in our church right now, uh, and many more to come. I know there's already a lot of great testimonies coming out of the sexual revolution. You might not know this, but last week, as Annie LaVere shared, there were many prostitutes, current working prostitutes, that's, that came to our church last week, and I prayed for several of them right here at this altar. Um, and it was just powerful. I shared this this week with several people. It's probably one of the most heartbreaking experiences of my life to stand there and pray with these young ladies who less than 24 hours before were selling their body for sex. And I'm praying with them that God would just take them out of that life. So I'm thinking about Katina today, uh, who's been coming to our church. Katina, a single mom. Man, she just got a car this week. Come on, somebody. Provided for Katina so she could get a car. Now, you might be thinking, what's the big deal about a car? You try getting two little girls ready and getting on a bus and changing buses twice just to get to church. Okay? And not only does she get to church, she gets to church early and she serves. Okay? And so I believe that God supernaturally provided the funds so that she could have that car so that she could come and volunteer more. Praise Jesus. 
But I think about her testimony. She's got a powerful testimony. And just one of those is um, she had lupus for 11 years, was it? 11 years. And uh, one day she came forward, and man, we prayed for her at this altar, and God supernaturally touched her body and cured her of lupus. Now, I think that's pretty powerful. Now, people need to hear that story. Why is it so significant to share our story? Here's what's significant about it. Because what it does, it begins to take the edge off of church. Because people coming to church, they think we got it all together. It's true. Okay? How many of you guys ever walked into a church and you're like, I don't think I belong here? I do it every Sunday, and I'm the pastor. <laughs> you know? And I come in. Here's the thing. Your testimony. Here's what happens. When people hear your testimony, they realize you're just as messed up as they are. Right? And they, they feel comfortable now that, hey, I can go to church too because you don't have to be perfect to come to church. Okay? It doesn't matter what your testimony involves. You have one. And I want your story told. I want you in that book. Now, obviously, not all of you will make it in that book. But I want to ask you, and you can fill it out while I'm preaching, because it's so important that we get this, these back today. We're going to do this again tonight and encourage people tonight to write out their testimony. It is so important that we get these back. Here's what's going to take place. If your testimony gets selected, you'll be contacted by a professional writer. That's why it asks for some best times to be contacted. And we'll, we'll let you know when that takes place. But you're going to be contacted by a professional writer, and they're going to write your testimony. That's pretty cool. It's going to go into this book, and I'm telling you right now, your testimony will change people's lives. Five people got saved last week because someone shared their story. What if the 150 of us, come on somebody, shared our story, and five people got saved because of your story? Do the, do, do the multiplication. That's a lot of lives being transformed and being touched. And so I want to encourage you to do that today. If, if I see you looking down while I'm preaching, I'll just trust that you're writing out your testimony, okay? And I won't yell at you today. Is that all right? All right. Exodus chapter 20. I'm going to jump into it. We just have a little bit of time. Here left today, Exodus chapter 20. Um, for time's sake, you can go back and read it, starting in verse 1. But we're going to pick it up at verse 12. And it says this, honor your father and your mother. Now, it's talking here about the Ten Commandments, in case you're not familiar with the Bible. The Ten Commandments, they actually used to have them posted in schools. No longer do they do that. Um, but here they are in the Bible. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother. And all the parents said? Amen. Amen. That your days may be long in the land and that the Lord your God is giving you. Verse 13, you shall not murder. Here's our subject today. And this is commandment number seven. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Verse 14, covenant number 7, you shall not commit adultery. Now turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, and verse 28. And it says this, you have heard that it was said, commandment number 7, you shall not commit adultery. But I, this is Jesus talking, red letters in your Bible, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the subject today. God, we thank you for your word. But I pray that in the next few moments that we have together, that God, you would radically show up and show us, Lord, what the word says about adultery. 
God, I pray that we would walk out of this place more deeply in love with you and revering your word more sincerely in our heart. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 I was talking to a young boy one day, and, and uh, he came out of class, and, and I knew what they were talking about in class today, and they were talking about different stories, and they were talking about the Ten Commandments. And so the little boy came out of class, and he, and he, he came up, and he says, what's agriculture? And I was like, what do you mean, what's agriculture? So, well, we learned about the Ten Commandments today, and the seventh one says, do not commit agriculture. <laughs> And so I thought for a moment, knowing that the seventh commandment was do not commit adultery, and he's thinking agriculture, and so I said it means this, don't plow another man's field. <laughs> plow another man's field. What's agriculture? Adultery. Let me give you the definition according to the way the world would see it, okay? And probably the way most of us know it today. Here's the definition of adultery. It is voluntary sexual intercourse between a married person and someone other than his or her lawful spouse. Okay? Now, this would be the most common. You hear adultery and immediately, immediately you think, oh, a married person had sex with someone they weren't married to. Okay? And that is the definition that the world knows and probably the definition that the church knows as well. Okay? That's the one that would come to our mind. This word adultery, it's, it's uh, got a, a Latin verb that it's related to, and that Latin word is adulterate which means to pollute, okay? Means to pollute. Now, it's interesting that the original word, if you come all the way back to it, it means to pollute, because in Jeremiah 3, here we see that God is using Jeremiah to speak to Judah, the nation of Judah. And Jeremiah is coming now to pronounce judgment and just begin, begin to declare the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, saying, man, you guys have blown it. And over and over again, it uses the word pollute. You polluted this, you polluted that, you polluted this. How did they pollute it? It goes on to Jeremiah 3.9, and it says you polluted it with adultery. Okay? So when adultery happens, it is polluting something. What is it polluting? It's polluting the marriage. It's polluting the children. It's polluting culture. It's polluting society. It is something that is looked at as not good. Adultery. Lots of effects of adultery. Let me give you some of them. Divorce, oftentimes a spouse cheats and they find out about it, they're unable to reconcile that. And they're unable to come to terms with that. And so it ends in divorce. Emotional instability, physical victimization. What is physical victimization? It's actually, you can use this in a court of law that if your spouse has sex with somebody else and then transmits a disease back to you, it's called physical victimization and you can use it in a court of law. Sexually transmitted diseases, broken homes, single parents, trust issues, feelings of guilt and jealousy, crime, violence, ostracism, and financial burdens. Where do the financial burdens come from? They come because someone cheated, they committed adultery, now they're unable to reconcile, now you have single parents. Okay? And so it increases the financial burden. Adultery, because it oftentimes does end in divorce, here's the effects that it has on children. When those children become adults, they are two times more likely to have problems with mental illness, substance abuse, and failed relationships. Adultery. It's significant in our culture. 
It's impacting people. Listen to me. It does not just impact the person that does the act. It does not just affect the person that the, that the act was committed with. It affects future generations. How serious is adultery? Historically, adultery is a serious offense in most cultures. And in most world religions, it is absolutely forbidden across the board. Not just in Christianity, but world religions at large. It is forbidden. How serious is it? Currently today, in 18 states, it's actually still illegal. Commit adultery. Maybe you didn't know that. In 1997, 22 of the states, it was illegal. This is how serious it is. Okay? It's actually illegal. How many of you guys did not know that it was illegal? Okay? Yeah. 18 of the states, it's still legal. Now, it's very rare that people pursue that. Uh, in, in a legal sense, but if they did, they have all the laws and the statutes in place to pursue it. As a matter of fact, as recently as 2007, Michigan made the statement that it could carry a life in prison sentence. I'm all for that. <laughs> I guarantee you, there would be a lot less adultery going on, therefore you'd have a lot less divorce, therefore you'd have a lot less messed up children. Come on, somebody. If there was a life, I mean, come on, let's be honest. Some, how many of you guys have ever been mad at somebody, and maybe you didn't say it out loud, but you thought, no, I could just kill that person right now. Don't raise your hand, lightning might strike you, okay? But, <laughs> but there's a reason why you don't, because if you do, you might go to prison for life, <laughs> right? I guarantee you, people would be thinking twice. Have across the board, okay? In Michigan, in Wisconsin, it's a class one felony. In Maryland, it's only a $10 fine. <laughs> sure. <laughs> U.S. military, it's a potential for court-martial if you're caught in adultery. How serious is adultery? It was serious enough that all, out of all of the ten things that God wanted the nation of Israel to know, number seven was adultery. I mean, think about it. I'm going to give you ten things that I really want you to know and I really want you to hear about. Here's the ten things. Here they are. And one of them is adultery. How many of you guys think that's pretty significant? If one of the ten things that came out of God's mouth that he wanted the children to know was adultery, that maybe we should pay attention to that. Okay? This is how serious it is. Okay? How serious is it? Under the old covenant in the Bible, it actually carried a death sentence. You thought that life in prison was bad? Under the old covenant, Leviticus 20, verse 10, it says, Any man, woman caught in adultery, they shall be killed. Okay? Under the old covenant. Now, under the new covenant in the New Testament, okay? Is there still ostracism and judgment that takes place? Absolutely. But here's the cool thing is that we see this, is that Jesus comes along and he brings forgiveness and he brings restoration. Amen? I think that's pretty awesome. Okay? I think it's pretty cool that Jesus comes along. He realizes that this is a problem in society. And let's just face it, he knew it was going to be a problem in society. That's why way back when, when he established all the laws for his people, he said, hey, don't do this. Stay away from it. Okay? This did not come as a shock to God, but here's the cool thing. Okay? There is life after adultery. Why? Because Jesus Christ, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Is it hard to get through? Absolutely. Will marriages make it through? No, not always. But you know what? There is forgiveness. There is restoration. There is healing. Come on, somebody, in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're sitting here today and you have a testimony. 
Maybe you're the one that committed adultery. Maybe you were on the other side of that. You were, you're still working through that. Listen to me. There is life after because Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's serious. See it in the, we see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. We see it in the Old and the New Covenant. In relationship to God and the children of Israel, there is punishment for the adultery and there is restoration. Read Hosea chapter 2. There is punishment and there is restoration. It is serious. Why is it serious? What does the Bible have to say about it? Let me just give you real quickly what the Bible has to say about it. Because if we work just off of the world's perspective of adultery, we're going to miss it. Because the world's perspective of adultery says it's the physical, sexual act with somebody else that you're not married to. Okay? But here's what we discover when we dive into the Bible. Okay? Two different words here, one Hebrew word, one Greek word. The Hebrew word being from Exodus 20, and it's naaf. And it means to commit adultery, usually of a man. Now listen to this. Always with the wife of another. Now when I was studying that this week, and I came across that, this is, I'll be honest with you, in my 14 years of being a pastor, I had never seen that in the definition of adultery. It says this, it says, always with the wife of another. In other words, adultery under the old covenant was not adultery unless the woman was married. Okay? So if the man was married and he had sex with a woman that wasn't married, it wasn't called adultery in the Bible. Didn't know that. Okay. We study this out, we find out, okay, that the definition is with the wife of another. Okay? The New Testament word is uh, and I'm probably going to butcher this one. I actually talked to a theologian this week. Could you help me pronounce this? And he did his best through text. And it's really hard to hear someone's pronunciation through text. <laughs> Moyaku. Okay? To commit adultery. This is the one out of Matthew 5 that we read today. To commit adultery with. To have unlawful intercourse with. Here it is again. The wife of another or another person's wife. Okay? Now, I couldn't just stop there. Because, I don't know about you, but I couldn't wrap my mind around that. Wait a second. I couldn't wrap my mind around the fact that the Bible says it's always with the wife of another. Well, that doesn't sound, that doesn't sound, I'll be honest, that didn't sound fair to me. That didn't sound right. I was like, wait a second, okay? So as I began to dive in, I began to just, uh, just look at this, this uh, uh, word deeper, here's what I discovered. The reason why under the Old Covenant, okay, and even the New Testament word that's used, it says with the wife of another, here's why that is so grievous. First and foremost, under the Old Covenant, and we see it in the Tenth Commandment, women, women, now just stay with me, okay? I'm not the one saying this, okay? This is the Bible, this is the Old Testament, okay? Women were considered property, okay? Don't throw anything at me. <laughs> women were considered property. Before they were married, they were the property of the dad. After they were married, they became the property of the husband, okay? And so they belonged to them. So if an act of adultery was committed, it was an offense because, wait a second, that's not your property. You can't touch it. You can't do that with that. that that's not yours. You can't behave that way. And so it was, a, was this grievous offense. That's why the 10th commandment says, don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't covet your neighbor's possessions, okay? That's the way it was looked at back then. Now, here's what you need to understand. Marriage is a covenantal term. Rewind three weeks ago. Go back, watch it online. Marriage is a covenantal term, and it is an absolute model and picture of the covenants that God makes with his people. 
Okay? God being the one now that owns us. God being the one now that possesses us. We are God's. We belong to Him. Okay? We are not our own. We are His. Are you following me this morning? Okay? So now who are we? We are the bride. He is the bridegroom. Okay? So now as the bride or the woman, we belong to Him. That's what we see in the Old Testament when other nations would come along and begin to steal away the nation of Israel. God would look down and say, you've committed adultery. You were married to me. You belong to me. You are my possession. Okay? And therefore it was adultery. Okay? And so we see this now contextually that, okay, it makes sense. It was with the wife of another because they belonged to someone. Just like the children of Israel belong to God. Just like you and I now, we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? As we study it out a little bit further, we see this thought in mind. The reason it addresses the woman and she's married is because in the mind of God, it is unthinkable to break a covenant that he has made. Okay? Why would God, the one that instituted the covenant, the one that brought the covenant, why would he ever break it? He wouldn't. So in his mind, it's unthinkable now. Why would a man who went and presented himself to his bride ever go and commit adultery? Now think about it today, ladies and gentlemen. We need some men to man up, okay? We did a man up series not too long ago, okay? I believe with all of my heart that the sex industry would stop if men would man up. Because if men would stop going to strip clubs, women would stop stripping. If men would stop paying money for sex, women would stop selling their body for sex. Are you with me? If men would begin to man up and begin to live according to Ephesians chapter 5, the model of Jesus, okay? As husbands, we're supposed to be like Jesus. It was, it was unthinkable for the Lord Jesus Christ to make a covenant and break the covenant. What about men? If men would man up, just, just, just become men, okay? And, and not be lured away by other things. Are you following this this morning? Okay? It's adultery in the Bible, in context, okay? Always with the wife of another. Cool thing is, is this, that under the new covenant, in Galatians 3.28, we see that Jesus levels the playing field. Now, I know I just told you in the Old Covenant that, that women were property, okay? Galatians 3.28 says there is no male nor female. Remember this one, okay? We are all one, not 11. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus comes. And then we see now that Paul begins to train up Timothy and others in the pastoral epistles, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, and so on. And he encourages, hey, if you're going to be a leader in the church, be the, be the husband of one wife. Okay? Why does he address leaders only? See, some people think, well, see, because I've, I've heard people make the argument. Well, look at the, look at the, look at the definition of adultery. Adultery is the, with the wife of another. Okay, so it, I, I'm fine. If I'm married and I have sex with so-and-so, it ain't adultery. Okay, and they use this argue, argument for polygamy and different things like that. Okay, first and foremost, polygamy is against the law today, okay? So don't try to use that argument, all right? The, the next thing is this, is that Jesus says, no, wait a second, we're all one. It's literally no longer a possession. But Paul comes along now and he begins to teach, hey, hey, church leaders, be the husband of one wife. Why did he start there? He started there because if it starts here, it can begin to spread everywhere else. 
It wasn't just meant for church leaders, ladies and gentlemen. It was meant for everybody now to be the husband of one wife. Let's go a little bit deeper than an understanding of adultery, okay? So I want to take you a little bit deeper in the next five minutes. Boy Wallace Jr. wrote this in reference to the definition of adultery. The word adultery in the New Testament usage does not necessarily refer to the sinful, physical, sexual act. It is not restricted to the one way of violating the marriage bond. In the four passages in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the term adultery is given the sense of ignoring the bond. What bond? The bond between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, of which a man is guilty who formally puts away his wife unjustly and regards himself as unhitched. Like that? Unmarried. Okay? In other words, here's what we need to understand, and we're going to look at it real quickly, is that adultery is not just the physical sexual act according to the Bible. But when you come into the New Testament, we read it this morning, Matthew chapter 5, you've heard it say that you shall not commit adultery. But I say if you even look at a woman, okay, with lustful thoughts, lustful intentions, you have committed adultery with her in your heart. What is the Bible saying? The Bible is saying this, that, that listen to me now, that adultery does not begin in the marriage bed, or not the marriage, the bed, or the bedroom, that adultery begins in your heart. That adultery is not just sexual, but adultery is effectual. That adultery starts with our affections, being drawn away from our lawful spouse. Okay? Are you with me this morning? This is adultery. Contextually then, adultery is this, in John 8, 4. Let me just give you these real quick. A sexual act committed outside the marriage relationship and against the marriage. John 8, 4. Matthew 19, 9. The act of putting away and marrying another. Matthew 19, 9. Mark 10, 11. A sin against one's spouse, which is contrary to uh, your marital vows. Mark 10, 11. 1 Corinthians 7, 15. Ignoring the bond and considering oneself unmarried. 1 Corinthians 7, 15. And now, Jeremiah 3, 9. Within the scope of marriage, it is the display of improper affections to someone else or something else. Okay, I referenced Jeremiah 3, 9 just a little while ago. Okay? In Jeremiah 3, 9, as, as Jeremiah is prophesying to the nation of Judah... He says this, you have committed adultery with stones and trees. Wait a second. Don't wrap your mind too much around that one. Okay. You have committed adultery with stones and trees. If we take the world's definition of adultery, which is a sexual act okay, committed with another person that is not your lawful spouse, that's the blanket definition of adultery. How is it possible then for the children of Israel to commit adultery with stones and trees? Okay. What is the Bible telling us? The Bible is telling us this there and in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5, that adultery is not just an act, it is a heart issue. Yeah. In Jeremiah 3.9, what was taking place? They were actually worshiping carved images. 
They were actually bowing down and paying homage to stones. Wow. Could you imagine if we came into church and, and, and we just put this up here? What's that? That's God. You can't, you can't tell? Looks like God to me. This is what they're doing. They were, they were worshiping now no longer the creator. Romans talks about this, but they were now worshiping the creation. And they were bowing down. And God is so furious that a simple tree and a simple stone would rob away their affection. It starts in the heart, not with an act. It is not just sexual intercourse. It is being drawn away putting your time, your focus, and your attention on someone or something else. And we see in Hosea chapter 2, their heart had been lured away. They had been drawn away. And now the Bible begins to paint a picture of God's disgrace with them and God's upset with them. But then he says this, because God's a redeemer. It says this, but I will visit them in that day, and I will begin to allure them. I will begin to draw them back. I'll begin to woo them back into a relationship with me, and I'll begin to restore them. Why does he use that terminology? Because he understands it is literally an effectual thing. It is being drawn back into a relationship with him. And so he uses the same thing to begin to pull them back to his heart. Because adultery is not just an act. It is a heart issue. It is a heart thing. It's very clear in the Bible that it is more than just the act. Which brings me to this. Some of you are sitting here today like, all right, pastor, teach me about adultery. What does it say? Because I know I ain't in it. <laughs> so now let's look not at the world's definition of adultery. Let's look at God's definition of adultery. Let me ask you this question today. Single people, I'm going to hit you in just a minute. Don't worry. Okay. Let me ask you this question. You're here and you say, well, I'm not an adult. I had sex with nobody else. Okay. How much time do you spend with your wife as compared to your vocation? How much energy, how much love, how much passion do you put into your work? Do you put into your studies? Do you put into your children? Do you put into your extracurricular activities? Well, all the while, your wife is over there like, hello. Remember me? Remember the vows we took? You said you loved me. What's stealing away your attention? What's stealing away your affection? According to the biblical definition of adultery, you can be an adultery without ever having sex with somebody else. You can be an adultery because now your time, your focus, your attention is no longer with your wife, but it's with something else. See, men, you need to understand something. If you don't date your wife, somebody else will. Wow. True. And yes, Facebook. Yes, online. Okay. If you don't date your wife, somebody else will. And listen to me, man, it is your responsibility to date your wife. Listen to me. Why do we love Jesus? Because he first loved us. As Jesus is, so the man's supposed to be. It is always the man's job to date his wife. It is always the man's job to woo his wife. It is biblical. Are you with me today? 
Are you doing that? Because if you aren't dating her, someone else will. As I was studying this week, you can ask my wife. I was studying this week, and I came to this and this understanding. I, I wrote this down. If you're not dating her, why somebody else will? And also I stopped. I said, when's the last time I took my wife on a date? I realized it had been two weeks. Now, I've told you before that every day living with me is like a date. But... <laughs> So I get that, but when's the last time I took a moment and said, babe, just you and I, we're going on a date. Okay? And so I dropped everything, and last night I took her out. Right? And no, I didn't take her to a movie. Okay, can I tell you something, guys? Going to a movie is not a date. Yeah. Okay? The movie has your affection and your attention. <laughs> well... <laughs> a day. So we sat down for two hours at dinner and just talked. Had a good time. But listen to me, women, on the flip side. If you're not speaking into your husband's dreams, someone else will be. Someone else will be. When your husband comes home, babe, I got this idea, let's do it. Uh -huh. Kind of a dumb idea. <laughs> Trust me, there's somebody at work. All of a sudden, he starts sharing. Oh, that is just the most precious thing. <laughs> really? Let me tell you a little more. Listen, I think I think we're I think we'd be naive enough to believe that adultery just happens. Listen, contrary to many people's perceptions of men, we are not, like, just jumping in the sack with everything that comes along. Bing! The light bulb just went off something. Yes, really. <laughs> it is a process. And it is the process of someone else paying attention to our ideas, to our thoughts, to our dreams. Doesn't just happen overnight. Okay? Ladies, Speak life into your husband's dreams. Men, date your wife. Date your wife and date her often. Are you in adultery? Are you spending more time with someone or something else than you are your wife? If you are, your heart's being drawn away. You're in adultery. Uh, my mom was sharing with me a story this week about... A lady who finally divorced her husband because, true story, because she felt like her husband was married to the television set. True, divorced. And the reason cited was, you spend more time with the television than you do with me. We're not talking two years of marriage. Okay. Where's your affection? Turn the Facebook off, Twitter, doesn't matter how many followers you have. Okay. Turn that stuff off. Spend some time. Fantasy football, I love it. But I really love my wife. But I'm really happy my wife loves football. Praise Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Praise Jesus. Hey, you better marry the right one. <laughs> question. Do you think I'll be looking? Yes. Do you love football? Yes. Do you like basketball? Yes. Let's get married. <laughs> <laughs> I 
why Paul encourages Timothy to flee youthful lust. Flee it while it's young. Get out of there. Get a run for it. Just sitting here today, and you might be saying, well, great, you know, I'm not, I'm not even dating anybody. My mom, and I've shared this lots of times, my mom always tells me, said, Ben, watch how someone treats the church, how they treat the church is how they're going to treat you. What's their relationship with Jesus like? Do they have a solid relationship with Jesus? If a solid relationship with Jesus than every other relationship, it's, it's going to pan out. Because ladies and gentlemen, before adultery was a part of the marriage covenant, it was a part of the covenant between God and his people. You cannot understand adultery just in the context of marriage. You've got to take adultery back to the Bible and say, okay, what was God's intent? What did God mean when he said you have committed adultery with stones and trees? He was talking to a whole nation, a nation that he loved, a people that he loved, many of them not even married. They were single like many of you. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, you could be in this room not married but be in adultery with Jesus. Because you come and you say you love him. You've given your heart to him. God, I love you. Now, I've seen this happen time and time again. People, they finally come to the, to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and how amazing he is and that Jesus did all of it and that, that by, by grace we're saved through faith. And, you know, you look at it, it's like, wow, God, you love me enough to do all these things. And they get in that immediate relationship and they're so drawn away and they're so impressed and they're so like, wow. And all of a sudden now, 